Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast on the teleworking or the art of settling into a new normal. I am Mathilde Guedvay. I am a partner with Vail and Associates in Paris. And I'm joined today by four speakers that are part of our International Environment Law Alliance in Angard. So with us today, we have Paul Cahill with CC Solicitors in Dublin, Juan Jose Hitas Fernandez, a partner with Augusta Abogados in Barcelona, Carl Hedenström, a partner with Maurice Lowe in uh, Stockholm, and Ulf Goeke, a partner with Zeitz Partner based in Köln, uh, Germany. Home working has exploded since the pandemic, changing the nature of work practically overnight for many workers. Among the benefits are improved work-life balance, opportunities for flexible working hours, and more physical activity, reduced commuting time. This can all improve physical and mental health. For companies, teleworking can lead to higher productivity and lower operating costs. This sounds like a win-win situation, but it is not always the case in real life. Without proper planning and health and safety support, teleworking can lead to feelings of isolation, burnout, and depression. In addition, the generalization of teleworking creates new challenges and risks that employers need to be ready for. So my first question is going to be whether teleworking can be imposed by either the employer or the employee now that it is no longer mandatory, I suppose, in your countries, if it is like in France, where it is still recommended today, but no longer mandatory, as we are finally lifting COVID restrictions. So turning to Carl now, uh, would you like to answer this first question? Well, I, I think it differs a bit from country to country because uh, teleworking has been strongly recommended in Sweden for the last two years, but it's never been mandatory. So, so there's been people in the offices uh, throughout the pandemic. But since a couple of weeks back now, all restrictions are lifted. So everyone is allowed to go back to work as you would like. We still have a sort of a medical crisis going on in the sense that they haven't sort of put an end to the pandemic yet, which means there are some restrictions still for the employer to think about. For instance, when it comes to pregnant women uh, who are not supposed to be in the work in some uh, workspaces anyway after week 20 uh, and, and, and the like. But otherwise, there are no restrictions left. And that means that we're back to normal and we're back to the regular employment contracts. Uh, so unless you have an allowance in your employment contract for teleworking, or if there's a new policy with the, with, with the company you work with, you have to look what the contract says. And they will mostly say that you have somewhere where you're supposed to work, uh, mostly in an office then, or, or, or some other workplace. So at the present, teleworking cannot be imposed either by the employer or the employee. Uh, you have to reach an agreement in accordance with your employment contract uh, or maybe in accordance with the collective bargaining agreements. Uh, but there's no way for an employee right now, in Sweden anyway, to, to demand uh, that you're allowed to continue uh, with teleworking. Thank you, Carl. That's really interesting. So what about in Ireland? Or do you, will you also look into the uh, employment contract? Yeah, so similarly to Sweden, the, the situation in Ireland over the last two years is that uh, the recommendation has been that 
um, employees work from home. Now, the government have been proactively uh, going about introducing remote working as a more commonplace feature of, of working in Ireland uh, with their national remote working strategy. And under their national remote working strategy, they recently introduced the right to request a remote working bill uh, in January of this year. And now this is only in bill form um, and it's to be enacted later this year. Um, but it basically, uh, similarly to in the UK, it allows an employee to make a request to work remotely to their employer uh, a statutory right to make a request and have the employer to consider that request and then also uh, to respond to the request. Now, the employer may decline uh, the request on business grounds, uh, 13 of which are outlined in, in the legislation, um, but the list is not exhaustive. So there has been some criticism that it's drafted too broadly at the moment in favour of the employer. And further to this, then the employee can also appeal the decision to the WRC, the Workplace Relations Commission, which is the employment tribunal in, in Ireland. However, at the moment, as the bill is drafted, that's on procedural grounds only. Um, and the Irish Congress, Irish Congress of Trade Unions um, have outlined that or criticism that they feel that it should be on substantive grounds also, um, which in fairness is, is a reasonable criticism. However, there is progress there in terms of uh, employees' rights in terms of working remotely. Thank you very much, Paul. So we have to see uh, what the final version of the Act is when it is finally uh, finally approved. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Juan José, would you like to tell us about Spain? Sure. Um, in Spain, uh, remote working is, is not mandatory on the part of the employer. The law, there is a law approved back in July 2021, setting the rules for remote working. And it is clear, it has made clear that it cannot be imposed by the employer. L let me say that that remote work under the law is considered, it applies, any work will qualify as remote work when it refers to 30, a minimum of 30% of the working time of the employee in a period of three months. So the tendency right now out of the pandemic where, where remote working was imposed as a safety and agenda measure is that some companies, especially large companies, has uh, include this part of the branding, employee branding, as a, as a way to improve HR practices. But now I think that more the, the hybrid models have been imposed, combining both remote and physical work. So in essence, as I said, it's not something that can be imposed uh, mandatory. It has to be on a voluntary basis, it has, the law says that it has to be made in writing and agreed by the parties. And there is also a very important provision under the law stating that remote work can be reversed by either of the parties with some notice period that must be agreed by the parties. So there is always the, the right on each of the parties, both employer and employee, to come back to the previous uh, mechanism for physical work. Let me say also as, as, an, as a final remark that the fact that it's voluntary also means under the law that the employer cannot make an employee redundant or terminate the employment agreement on the basis of the rejection on the part of the employee to accept remote working, as, as suggested by the employer, and cannot be also used as a ground for termination in case of non-adaptability of the employee to the new uh, environment generated as, as per the uh, remote working. And finally, well, in broad terms, uh, also the Spanish Workers Institute provides for a specific right on the part of the employee, whereby they can raise a specific request to work remotely when they, it, the employee can evidence a need for work-life balance 
it's not a, a, an absolute right to get this on the part of the employer, but to start a bargaining process whereby uh, there is no an obligation to grant the remote working status, but to bargain on the possibility to implement measures, uh, including the remote work, when the employee can evidence any sort of needs for work-life balance or, or childcare or, or, or others. Thank you very much, uh, Juan Jose. So now over to you, uh, Ulf, for, for Germany, please. So in Germany, the situation outside of the pandemic was that neither can the employer impose remote working nor has the employee a right to demand to work from home. During the pandemic, and that, that obligation will end in a couple of days, uh, there was a bit of a mandatory obligation to enable um, working from home wherever that was feasible, but that was never really kind of, I think, a very hard obligation. Now, uh, so we will fall back to the situation before, but um, the new government, the Minister of Labour has announced that he intends to make it mandatory in some form for employers to allow employees to work from home, if that is feasible. So, but that is, of course, strongly contested by the um, employers federations and uh, so we have a coalition where I think some uh, some parties or at least one of them will not favor that so we'll see what is going to happen um, especially that because at the moment I think people have other things on their mind but the general trend is there will be some kind of obligation in the next years sometime. Okay, thank you very much, Wolf. Now, my next question is actually inspired by some, some uh, cases I, I have had recently with clients, which is, what if the employee teleworks from outside of his home and maybe outside of the country, and in some cases, maybe without even telling the employer in advance that uh, he's not working from his uh, usual uh, place of living. And how can this kind of risk, so what is the risk triggered by this situation and how can we anticipate and avoid uh, such a risk? So, uh, Paul, for Ireland, please. Sure, yeah. So, yeah, this is something we've come across as well, um, particularly the last few years where we've been working remotely and uh, sometimes then employees haven't told their employers that they've actually moved to another jurisdiction. Um, so, in terms of governing that eventuality, I suppose we would recommend, um, given that we've now all been working remotely for the last two years, that um, employers make sure they have a remote working policy in place, you know, that governs the rules around remote working and um, where it can be done from and, and what the processes are for that. Um, it will be a requirement under the right to request remote working bill uh, once it becomes an actor, as it's currently drafted anyway, that an employer has a, a policy in place. So it's probably something that's worthwhile doing anyway. And in, in terms of then... The, the risks that arise, I suppose there, there is a risk that the employee could become eligible to statutory rights in, in the other jurisdiction and um, depending on you know what country they're staying in, uh, the local laws and, and the duration of their stay. And um, so it's something that employers will need to be aware of um, and need to keep an eye on. And if such a situation does, or does arise or if an employee makes a request to work from another jurisdiction, it'll be worthwhile for an employer to take advice in, in both jurisdictions so they fully understand the risks. In terms of an employee going away to another jurisdiction and not informing the employer, obviously, um, that's something that will need to be dealt with by uh, the disciplinary policy. Um, but again, it'll have to be kind of, uh, it'll depend on the circumstances of, of how the situation came to be and, and what the, the policies are and what the agreement was in place with the employer in terms of remote working. 
Thank you very much, Paul. Um, turning to Carl now, would you like to tell us about the situation in, in Sweden? Well, I would basically agree with Paul here most of the most of the issues he, he brought up. Uh, I would say that since you have an obligation, even if you remote work remotely, you have an obligation to show up if the employer asks you to come to the office nowadays, I would say that it could lead to, as, as Paul mentioned, disciplinary action and even terminations if you go abroad and work for a long time without telling the employer. But we also have to consider then the pro problem for the employer that it might create a permanent establishment in the country where the employee is working, actually. Uh, and there also might be problems insurance-wise if something happens, uh, an accident or the like, uh, if the insurance that the employer must have in Sweden, if that actually covers the employee if he works abroad, uh, that's nothing we're going to be able to answer here during this podcast, but but that's something that you need to consider anyway when you if you let your employees work uh, remotely uh, abroad. So there are many issues that need to be considered uh, if that happens. Uh, certainly many issues. And in France, at, uh, at, at least, would be considered a, a breach, I, I, I suppose, a breach of trust uh, if, you, uh, if you say you're working from home and you're actually in another country. Uh, Juan Jose, uh, what about Spain? Yeah, well, in Spain, from a Spanish perspective, I will say that um, in order to determine what the jurisdiction, competent jurisdiction will be, what applicable law will be in case of any disputes, or even at the beginning of the contract, because sometimes clients uh, do raise the issue about what about including some sort of choice of law or um, a competent jurisdiction clauses uh, for uh, remote work agreements, I will say that from our perspective, the issue will be treated differently if the matter relates to uh, uh, an employment relationship between European citizens, I mean, uh, employees and, and companies, or whether this relates to a mixture of EU citizens and a company abroad. But broadly speaking, the main issue here, the hot topic here to consider is whether, in case of remote working, the place where the employee eventually renders his services, her services, is the domicile of the employee, or which could attract competency as per uh, broad regulations, European regulations, or whether it will be, um, it will have to be considered the place of the establishment, the higher the employee at the beginning. And uh, we have some experience saying that, particularly for, for tax purposes, where it has been revealed by the tax agency here in Spain that for the purposes of determining the taxation residency, the place where the employee uh, works, if it is the, the, his or her domicile, uh, attracts competency for, for determining the tax residency and ends in case of disputes uh, and considering the EU regulations, it will be easily uh, a way to bring claims and, and determine the applicable, the applicable laws. But, but again, uh, I think it's, it's a very uh, sensitive issue, uh, I guess, but definitely in case of an hybrid model, for example, which is the most habitual one, the matter becomes <laughs> more difficult, uh, particularly you had a case where there was a mixture of uh, uh, an employee working a few days over the week at home in Spain and the remaining part of the week in London. And the work in Spain was remote work, qualified for remote work. So the place where habitually the employee renders services has a nightmare to determine. So the second criteria would be perhaps the easier way, a waste way to do it, which was not so good for the employee because it was the place where the establishment hires 
was based, which in this case is the was the UK. So again, difficult issues to deal with. But uh, from a Spanish perspective, there is always a degree of protection on the part of the employee. So in case of that, uh, the labor tribunal uh, will likely attract uh, competency. Okay. Thank you, Jose. Now, uh, turning over to Ulf, what about Germany? Well, I think in general, um, probably the things are very comparable here as I think we are kind of more or less all under this, working under the same rules and conventions here. So I think the main difference you have to look at is whether it's kind of occasional work from abroad or will someone really move abroad uh, and then you get all the, problem, the problems with, with applicable law and social security and uh, also I think the, the tax thing and permanent establishment. So that's, I think you have to make sure. I think if you really have someone who can, kind of only goes to um, kind of work from Spain for a couple of weeks or months um, because he has a kind of a secondary residence there, I think that mainly should, should be manageable. Of course, I think the employer should know about that. I think that would be only fair. But I would guess that within the realm of the common rules in the EU, that should be okay. Like if it's not a permanent residence, if not the usual place of work, if you don't kind of, uh, it's, it's not more than 183 days. So then I think that's okay. But of course you have to, if someone really says, well, I, I'm working from here and now I can do the same work from France or Spain, depending, of course, on the job. But I mean, we, we have clients who have kind of, they're completely free for the jobs. They can create them all over Europe. So they, they're looking for people and they say, well, I, I'd like to stay in Netherlands. And they say, okay, you, you stay in the Netherlands. And I think that's okay then. You have to then establish, see that you get that managed by payroll and wage tax and wise. But if you have something in place, that's no problem. Just, of course, if things change, then you have to see, um, like the person now wants to move from the Netherlands to Germany, then, of course, it might create some hassle. Okay, thank you, Ulf. Uh, now to our next question. And as I mentioned earlier, um, teleworking creates new risks in terms of health and safety. So the next question is, how can employers make sure that they still fulfill their duty of care in case of teleworking? So would you like to start maybe, uh, Juan Jose? Yeah, there is the Spanish law, uh, particularly for, for remote work uh, regulations, there is uh, an obligation to identify SARS, SARS identification and risk assessments for employee care. So it is clear, the law makes clear that this has to be implemented on the part of the employers um, within the general duty to care about a uh, good and uh, safety work environment. This leads sometimes to uh, some specific obligations on the part of the employer to identify and implement specific measures to avoid uh, psychological diseases that may arise as a consequence of implementing remote work. And there has been approved, uh, I, I think quite recently, some guidelines from the part of the safety and hygienic bodies here in Spain uh, with some generic, generic, general recommendations when a company wants to implement remote work policies that uh, which may include um, setting um, protocols whereby employees working remotely has regularly uh, contact with those people working in the office. 
making sure also that they are, the, the, the place uh, set for work is suitable, enough a place of work with sufficient ventilation. And uh, there is the, the reasonable work violence between the time uh, devoted to work at the time uh, for the family and the work-life balance and, uh, and avoid the guidelines specifically says that uh, literally it, it uses the word workaholics, uh, which seems to be a sort of that is increasingly uh, promoted when you work from home. And also it is very interesting in case of, of work accidents, whether uh, this must be covered by insurance company, especially when there is EBIT models whereby the company works part of the time at home and the other uh, on, uh, physically in the office. And um, uh, also the guidelines makes a reference to the fact that these potential accidents uh, when the employee is traveling to the office or back to home, those cases where there is every bothers will have to be covered uh, as well. And finally, let me say that um, there is the general right to uh, disconnection, meaning that the employee has the right to disconnect, digital disconnection, and the employer can implement protocols whereby this is uh, some, somehow warranty or, or, or provide within the agreement um, which sets the rules for remote uh, working. Thank you very much, Juan Jose. So uh, there is a right to disconnect in uh, Spain. Uh, is there one uh, in Sweden too, Car? Well, unfortunately not. (laughs) There is no legislation or anything with the right to disconnect, and that, of course, can be a problem if you work from home. Uh, I I have a feeling that this will be something that will be discussed in the collective agreements when they are negotiated uh, as we go along here, if more people work from home, Uh, because this has not sort sort of been an issue before, but if it becomes one, that is clearly something that will be covered by collective bargaining in Sweden, not by legislation, most likely. Otherwise, I think I agree with most of the things that Van Jose was mentioning. From a Swedish perspective, the same obligation applies for the employer, regardless of if the employee works in the office or at home. So you have to make sure that both the physical and psychological work environment is compliant with the Work Environment Act. We don't have, the employer don't have a right to sort of inspect the home of the employee uh, as such, uh, but you should at least sort of make sure and provide the equipment and everything to make it possible for the employee to have a safe home office uh, or, or like. So, so in other words, if the question arises in Sweden, uh, my answer is always, you, know, you have to look at the Work Environment Act and the same responsibilities that you have if the if the employee is in the office, will also apply if the employee works from home. Thank you very much, Carl Frederick. So, Paul, I think I heard there is now a new right to disconnect in Ireland. Would you like to comment on that? Yes, absolutely, Mathilde. Yeah. So, uh, as of last year, we have a right to disconnect in Ireland. Again, that forms part of the government's national remote working strategy, and they introduced a code of practice on the right to disconnect. So, it's not uh, legislation, it's not a statute, and um, it's a code of practice, but it can be introduced in as evidence uh, before the Workplace Relations Commission if someone was bringing a claim, for example, under the Organisation of Working Time Act. And the code is very practical, obviously. It, it uh, provides tips on how uh, employers can implement measures to provide a right to disconnect to their employees. 
and it provides a list of responsibilities for both employers and employees in terms of um, implementing the right to disconnect. It, it provides a template uh, policy for employers that they can use if they want to introduce a right to disconnect policy as well. And then it assists basically employers in, in ensuring compliance with the Organisational Working Time Act um, and the Safety, Health and Welfare Work Act, among other legislation in relation to remote working. So it's a it's a useful document uh, to have. Thank you very much, Paul. And uh, uh, now turning to Germany with Ulf, how would you like to comment on this? So uh, with regard to, to workplace safety in Germany, in general, the same rules apply as if you were working in the office or in the plant. So that is a bit of a problem. Of course, there I think it's apart from those who have already established that, especially with a lot of people now working from home, this is still kind of something, I'd say, uncharted waters to some extent, uh, in particular because, of course, the right to inspection, because you would have to, to be able to inspect the workplace to see whether it's, it's healthy, would conflict with the, uh, the right to your residence, uh, which is protected. Um, there's a bit of a way around that is in Germany that you try to call it not kind of work from home or home office work, but mobile work. And then that is a bit less regulated, which does allow that people use their device from kind of wherever they are. With regard to the right to disconnect, we have no formal right to disconnect. There is a bit, the general position is that outside of your normal, of your working hours, you're not obliged to uh, to work or to answer to any um, phone calls or emails. But of course, what we see with the remote work, of course, is some kinds of a, kind of a fractionalizing of working time and kind of scattering all over the, the day. And uh, that leads to employers, to some extent, of course, expecting their employees to answer calls and emails. So um, in theory, you could say, yeah, it's out of my usual working hours. I don't answer it. But of course, there's a certain factual pressure if you are employer expects you to to answer calls in the evening. Thank you very much, Ulf. Now, on to the next question, which is a completely different topic, um, but still related to teleworking. So, uh, in situations of teleworking, how can uh, GDPR compliance be achieved and how should uh, data security risks be addressed? Juan Rosé, uh, would you like to answer this question? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, under Spanish regulations, and particularly for uh, those related to data protection, th there has been approved some, some guidelines and there are some references under data protection laws, which, as you know, implements EU regulations on data protection. So uh, in broad terms, the framework is very similar to other European countries, but in particular in Spain, there is a reference, uh, most of the reference for remote works are those in relations to what the obligations on the part of the employer, which allows remote workers, which agree on remote workers, will be in terms of management of those data, uh, which is processed while being working uh, remotely. And this includes a series of relations, like, for instance, in relation to the communication channels uh, that could be used uh, by remote workers and the company and their colleagues. Um, and there is a general, a general recommendation using virtual private networks or internal corporate networks, which are avoids or limits 
or mitigate somehow the potential wrongdoings in terms of the data protection. There is also uh, some specific recommendations in terms of passwords as well within the guidelines, uh, stating that there is a, a strong recommendation that there are robust uh, passwords or mechanisms whereby from time to time the system monitors that this is updated to avoid any sort of accesses, non-authorized accesses to the, to the system. There is also a general recommendation that while you are working remotely, you don't, you only use uh, corporate Wi-Fi connections, not public ones. So that it is also a prevention mechanism to avoid, you know, different sort of access to the to the data uh, that remote work is managing. And broadly speaking, I think that the, the other alternatives follow the same idea about implementing protocols whereby the employees uh, working remotely may may take special care when accessing uh, accessing and dealing. With the data provided by the by the employer, this also fits finally to the uh, general recommendation that they don't use private devices but uh, company tools. And this is also a, a very strong recommendation with the aim of uh, making sure that there is a right use of the of the data. Thank you very much, Jose. Carl, uh, what about Sweden? I think it's very similar to Spain. Uh, there are recommendations issued by our uh, authority for uh, societal sort of protection and uh, crisis management that has issued some recommendations when it comes to homeworking and data protection. And it mainly says that you should avoid using private non-coded Wi-Fi networks and you should sort of the employer should provide you with with safe VPN tunnels and the, and the like to be able to work with your uh, documents and uh, the personal information that you might handle while working at home. So uh, I, I just think it's very important that the employer has very clear guidelines uh, as to what sort of personal data you're allowed to handle if you work from home and then, of course, how to handle it and uh, and also look look at those guidelines that are provided by Swedish authorities when it comes to GDPR compliance uh, when it comes to homeworking. So, uh, so I'm not a technical expert, so I wouldn't be able to go into that. But, but I think it's important that you take all sort of safety measures uh, in order to make sure that you comply, because naturally the GDPR is applicable to homework. So if you breach those regulations, it can become quite expensive for the employer, naturally. Thank you very much, Carl. Uh, what about uh, Germany, Urs? Well, I think that's, that's uh, something also that kind of the, the same, I'd say, common sense and rules apply, of course, uh, with regard to GDPR and data protection risks in Germany. Um, I think one thing is sure, in general, you can say remote working poses extra risks which you have to take care of through a couple of measures already mentioned, like uh, hardware uh, connection, uh, secure connection, uh, don't use private devices, and so on. And you should, of course, have your IT department uh, prepared to do that and provide all those um, safe measures and devices. And of course, you have to ideally have a, probably have a um, remote working guideline with specifically relates to all those risks and uh, also um, makes clear that the risks are not only related to kind of uh, electronic 
data, but also hard copies and paperwork that you may take home or print out home. And uh, the way that this transported and um, stored and deleted. So um, there's really um, a couple of issues. And of course, all other things, you will have uh, your family maybe coming into your office and be able to, to see that. So um, I think even if you do all this, you still have to be aware that there's this is another level of risk that you um, that you are facing and that you have to deal with and that you have to show, as mentioned, to avoid huge fines and, of course, also reputational risks um, that you have managed that to the best extent possible. So by by setting up guidelines and also kind of making sure that you monitor them to the extent that is possible. Okay, thank you very much, Ulf. Now over to Paul for uh, Ireland on uh, GDPR and data protection. Yeah, so I think the considerations are the same in Ireland as they are in, in the other jurisdiction, um, really in terms of compliance with GDPR. Uh, obviously, the risks are different at home. Um, so it's important, I suppose, we would recommend that employees revise their policies and just ensure that remote working circumstances are covered and addressed either in the remote working policy or in the data protection policy and to ensure that they cover all the, the, the risk areas, I suppose, in terms of devices, email security, cloud and network access, uh, whether or not employees are allowed to take paper files or, or hard copy files home. Obviously, that's a, a, another level of risk then in, in terms of uh, controlling uh, paper and hard copy files. And then other considerations such as um, video conferencing. Um, so obviously video conferencing is quite commonplace now, but um, ensuring that the video conferencing is conducted securely um, uh, with password protected access and things like that. Okay, thank you very much, Paul. So now the next uh, topic is uh, the role played by Works Council when there is one, because I recently found out, thanks to Paul and Carl, that there are no Works Council uh, in uh, Ireland or Sweden. Uh, so when there is one, uh, what, what role do they play? And when, when there isn't, then uh, this role, I understand, is taken over by, by unions. So starting with Ulf, uh, in Germany, you certainly have work sponsors, and, and I understand they have uh, quite uh, extensive rights, co-determination rights. Would you like to tell us a bit more about that? Yes, that's certainly correct, Mathilde. What we talked about, like you should set up guidelines for a number of topics and uh, the right to impose work or the right to uh, ask for work and all the security risks. All these topics affect uh, matters which are under co-determination with works councils in Germany. So there's kind of uh, the order of work, uh, working time, uh, technical equipment, safety and health, all that is uh, regulated. So you cannot impose a guideline, a teleworking guideline, without the consent of uh, the Works Council. So that might lead to um, extensive negotiations and uh, bargaining situations where maybe uh, you have to balance things against one another. Um, but that's, that's certainly the case. So you will have quite elaborate works agreements in the big companies um, regulating every aspect you can think of with regard to working from home. Okay, thank you very much, Ulf. Uh, now, Paul, would you like to explain how this is handled uh, in a country without uh, works councils? 
Yeah, so I, I, there are work schedules in Ireland, but they wouldn't be commonplace. It wouldn't be something we um, commonly uh, encounter. In terms of the dealings of the Irish Communist Trade Unions, I think I mentioned earlier, I've been critical of the right to request remote working bill uh, in just outlining that the appeal mechanism at the moment to the WRC is on procedural grounds only, um, and their criticism is is that this should be on substantive grounds, um, which is which is a, a reasonable point um, for the for the unions to make. Um, so we wouldn't we wouldn't disagree with that. Thank you very much, Paul. Uh, so Juan Jose, would you like to tell us about the collective rights uh, in Spain? As a kicking off point, uh, we may say I may say that. Um, the role of the, the employees' representative in, in Spain is limited as long as they don't have uh, a better right on the part of the uh, uh, to, to uh, limit somehow the possibility that the parties may implement a remote work agreement on an individual basis. However, the law, uh, specific regulations for remote working systems provide some references to collective rights on the part of the employees. Um, the first one is that uh, the, the law clearly says that remote workers have the right to be treated equally to those other workers within the company. Um, there is also reference in the law stating that the remote work, as I was saying in the beginning, which is considered those uh, exceeding the thresholds of the 30% of the working time, will have the right to be compensated for the expenses generated from the, uh, this uh, remote work. The law is not clear about what the, those, these level of expenses are, but there is a reference that these compensations will be in, in, in accordance with that agreement under the applicable collective bargaining agreement. So if there is an indirect role of the works council and the employees representatives, which has the possibility to regulate and to implement the levels of compensation of those expenses. In our, from our experience, some uh, collective bargaining agreements at uh, different business sectors tends to consider some lump sums, considering the level of consumption of electricity, water, or the space meters devoted to this remote work. And this is uh, broadly accepted in, in some of the current collective bargaining agreements. So this is mainly the role of the employees' uh, representatives. And finally, let me say that there is also a reference in the law stating that the company must provide uh, specific tools to employees' representatives allowing them to communicate with remote workers. And this has been interpreted by some existing case law in a way that it will have the right to get paid by the employers or so what we call virtual boards, whereby unions may address publicity or spread some, some announcements on the part of the of the unions in a way that there is a, a communications between the employees' representatives and uh, remote workers. And there is also reference also clarifying that uh, remote workers have also the right to participate in the uh, union elections at the company level. So the, 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 the company must implement a mechanism whereby uh, remote workers can also participate in any given uh, electoral process taking place in the company. Thank you very much, Juan Jose. Uh, and uh, Carl, how is this dealt with in Sweden? Well, you want the long or the short version. Now, but, but the thing is that uh, since we don't have work councils, the reason for that really is that Sweden is one of the most unionized 
countries, I think, in the world when it comes to coverage, when it comes to collective bargaining agreements. Uh, we also have a legislation that gives employees in companies with more than 25 employees the right to be, uh, be on the board, uh, which means that Sweden has sort of thought that we don't need work councils, really. We, we already cover all this by both the right to board representation and uh, the Code of Determination Act, uh, where, where the unions are sort of participating and getting information about the company business. So in this respect, I would say that if there would be any sort of involvement or regulations regarding uh, remote working, that would be done by collective agreement, both centrally and most likely on the local level when when companies and unions negotiate. So, uh, so there will for sure be a strong presence, union presence in all these sort of uh, issues as well, like in all other labor issues in Sweden, but it will not be handled by any sort of work council. It will be handled by the unions under the umbrella of the collective bargaining agreements. Thank you very much, Carl. So now we're moving on to our last question already, which is a very uh, open uh, question. Uh, is I would like to know if you have uh, any other thoughts of best practices that you would like to share with the audience. Uh, any any takeaways uh, on on the topic for uh, international employers that are listening to us, um, Ulf? Well, I think um, one important thing is when you kind of are in a in a negotiation situation, also on the individual level. Uh, with the employee requesting um, to be able to work from home, that you draft the respective agreement in a way that it keeps the right of instruction as employer to the to the best effect, so that you can still kind of say, okay, I'm going to end this uh, if if it's needed, and of course, if your uh, presence is needed in the company, you should come here. Also, one other aspect which uh, was also kind of touched by by Juanjo is uh, the question of of money so increasingly you find that uh, also work councils ask for a compensation for people working from home compensation for the cost although in many cases you still think it's a win-win situation because also people um Uh, save uh, money because they don't have to save money and time. They don't have to travel to work. And uh, you might argue that it's balanced, but of course, in the in the strict sense, the the employer has to to bear the cost if you work from home, and uh, that cost is caused by the work. And um, so, uh, one interesting thing is that in that respect, the uh, the German courts have decided when the discussions on what what the uh, what is the amount that should be compensated, you cannot. You should not look at the office rent, which is saved, but kind of uh, the partial home residence rent, which is kind of occupied by your home place of work. Otherwise, I think those things are still developing and there are no strict rules. So this is kind of still very much open to negotiation in uh, collective bargaining situations. Thank you very much, uh, Ulf. So now uh, over to you, Carl. What, what is your last word on uh, teleworking? Well, I think that Ulf mentioned a lot of worthy issues here that we, we were thinking about, but this might differ from country to country then. But, but one thing is that, that I was thinking about is that it's much harder to change an individual employment contract than your sort of HR guidelines. So when it comes to teleworking, it might be a good idea to sort of refer in at least your Swedish employment contracts, which are fairly short, to your general guidelines. 
in other words, saying that you're allowed to work home uh, as long as this is in line with our general sort of HR practices, because that can be changed uh, by the employer without having to sort of have a new agreement with the employee. So in other words, try to avoid to regulate working from home or teleworking in the individual contracts instead of having the guidelines that can be changed uh, much more easily. So that, that's one takeaway from a, from a Swedish perspective anyway. Thank you very much, uh, Carl. Uh, what about you, uh, Juan Jose? Well, a final remark or some, some of my best Uh, practice here of the lessons learned from our last months here uh, dealing with with remote work. Uh, it could be also a, a summary of what we have been told uh, during this presentation. I think it's very important. Um, I've seen very important that that the contract really addressed the issue about the right to come back to the physical presence. I think it's a key factor to consider. I think also that most of our clients or companies dealing with remote work do tend to implement protocols to avoid isolation, lack of engagement on the part of the employees uh, working from home or teleworking or doing remote work. I think it's, it's, it's a significant matter to, to consider. I, I think at least my, my view from our experience in Spain is that the hybrid models are increasingly getting attracting attention definitely is the, is the the path to follow hybrid models whereby number of, of days over the week they the employee work remotely uh, but but they still keep an eye on on the office uh, just for the engagement dealing with people um, you know meeting the colleagues or doing some project groups working with groups uh, so i think it's important Most of the, I think, big companies also consider this remote work as part of the employer branding, definitely. So most of them might include that in the branding. Not offering remote work seems to be a weak point in terms of getting, attracting people, retention, and so on. And this, I think, is crucial to consider. And the final remark is that, that uh, as I was saying, uh, in Spain, there's a right also to, to, to ask uh, remote work as, as part of the work-life balance. But, but that's not all, because, you know, sometimes, especially in some business sectors, it has revealed that remote work is not an option and definitely may damage the business, which is also a factor to, to consider uh, on the part of the employer. Thank you very much, Juan Jose. Um, and now, finally, last word to Paul. Um, do you have any tips for employers uh, to be uh, equipped for the war of talent that is uh, currently raging in Ireland? Yeah, as you say, Matilda, it's, a, it's an employee's market in, in Ireland at the moment. Um, there is a, a significant war for talent and employers do need to kind of uh, be careful, I suppose, in considering how they approach this issue of remote working. Um, the right to request remote working bill will require that they have a remote working policy in place, as I mentioned, and they'll be, uh, the employers that don't have one will be liable to a fine up to 2,500 euros if it is enacted as it is currently drafted, obviously. So um, they will need to put a, a policy in place at some stage, most likely. Um, and so they'll need to consider exactly 
what are they going to do? Is it going to be a hybrid model? Are they going to require everyone to be back in the office? Um, but I, I do think it's a risk to employers if they do require everyone to come back into the office that they will have or could possibly have a high employee turnover um, if they if they do uh, make it mandatory to be back in the office where employees have been working remotely now for two years in Ireland. Um, so it's certainly something for employers to consider. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you, uh, everyone, for your uh, very interesting contributions. And to the audience, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast uh, as much as we did. And we also hope that you will uh, tune in on our next uh, In and Out podcast on GDPR and data privacy. Thank you.